somebody would have gotten punched. Uh, that was like 30 seconds ago. Grade A parenting, Trevor. You yeah. win. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Rearview Movies. We are excited to look at an old film with new eyes. I am Scotty Williams. With me, as always, the brains of the operation, Trevor Kirkendall, and the good looks of the operation, Heather Williams. How are both of you doing today? You have a way of, like, really selling me high every time. Like, Well, that's my job. I'm the mouth of the operation. Okay, okay. That's true. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. From my wife. Our uh, multi-million dollar randomizer this week decided that we were going to watch uh we were going to go talk sports this week the movie it chose for us was rudy from 1993 so just a uh a recap on what we're doing here we are looking at movies that are 20 years old 30 40 or 50 years old we have them thrown into a multi-billion dollar machine (laughs) that through many many different types of algorithms selects a movie for us to watch each time and Computron. Yeah, Computron, right. <laughs> awesome Um <laughs> Every time we do this, it'll pick out a movie and it'll say, we have to watch this. And we'll look at that and we'll say, okay. Or we'll say, <laughs> no, we're not watching that stupid movie. So, <laughs> so while it's random, um, it's not it's not quite as random as it may as it may seem, but it is it is relatively random. So we should clarify then that when uh, in a previous universe iteration of this podcast where we watched scary movie, uh, we did not have a a machine tell us to watch that. And we said, oh, yay, let's watch that. Yeah, we used to just do this. It was like, okay, well, what movie came out on this comparable week 20 years ago? And had we been doing this and being paid for it, not had any other jobs or responsibilities, then perhaps we could have kept up with that for a while. Mm -hmm. But uh, somebody got a new job. And somebody else got a new job. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, that didn't last long. So mm-hmm. um, so that's how that's how these things work. But now we're doing these episodes completely random, too. So uh, it could be a week or a month or two months or six weeks. Who knows how long between episodes? Mm-hmm. But we'll keep, we'll keep them coming. It is. <laughs> we'll keep them coming, though. The multi-trillion dollar machine selected um, Rudy for us to watch. Uh, The movies in our randomizer are either top 10 grossing movies of the year that it came out, best picture nominees, winners in the best acting categories, the leading acting categories, or just a bunch of other movies that were popular at that time. Rudy, which is our fourth category that Rudy would fall under. Yeah, that's that's the category Rudy fell under. Uh, It was not a top 10 grossing movie of the year. It wasn't an Oscar movie, but it is um uh it is well loved and well liked and people still talk about it 30 years later and people still quote it 30 years later even if it's just to say rudy rudy <laughs> cuz everyone knows where that comes from so that is um, right yes the famous chant which we will talk about yep all right <laughs> well kick us off scotty tell us a little bit about rudy here so uh, with apologies, of course, to the cast and crew of this film, whose names I do not pronounce so well, uh, the starring role of Rudy is played by Sean Astin. Also in this film, a very young John Favreau, uh, Ned Beatty, Greta Lind, Charles S. Dutton, and Scott Benjaminson. Small number of those folks obviously going on to have uh, longer careers or being in other types of movies, of course. Uh, the film is directed by David Anspa and written by Angelo Rizzo. This is a pair that has collaborated previously on Hoosiers, actually. This is the same partner that brought you Hoosiers. And the music is done by Jerry Goldsmith. I'm actually very complimentary of the music. The film went on a $12 million estimated budget and went on to gross worldwide $23 million. 
Now, the U.S. gross is the same as the worldwide gross, so I would assume this film did not see an international release. Or if it did, it's not reported. Right, right, because from the time period. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 78. The audience score gives it a 90. Uh, The summary says, though undeniably sentimental and predictable, Rudy succeeds with an uplifting spirit and determination. Uh, Roger Ebert gave this film three and a half stars. There, there's a few names you left out that I'd love to I'd love to bring up here. I know um, one in particular. I'm I'm excited to hear you say it. Well, okay. Um, well, the the first I want to bring up is Jason Miller. Um, now Jason Miller is already at this stage in his career an Oscar nominated actor, and the movie he was nominated for is in our randomizer, and hopefully we'll get to it because I really want Heather to see it. And that was he was up for best supporting actor for The Exorcist. Um, <laughs> the plot continues. Yeah. If this if this were a video of a podcast, Heather's picture would be a meme right now. Just yeah. that face. Um, so he plays the Notre Dame coach whose name I can't even pronounce. Oh, Par- Parzizian. Par- Par- Parzizian. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably know. not how you say it either. Apologies yeah. to him and his family. But <laughs> yeah, um, they're not listening. Uh, so, yeah, Jason Miller playing the coach there. Robert Prosky, Notre Dame priest that kind of guides Rudy along to getting into school. Uh, mm-hmm. People will recognize him from another movie on our list. He played uh, Robin Williams's boss in Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, another movie on our list because that, too, is 1993. So maybe that one will pop up. Assistant coach on the team played by John Beasley, who actually is a character actor, very, very well recognized easily recognized and distinguishable unfortunately uh he did just pass away recently so uh it was i'd forgotten he was in this so it was sort of nice to see his face knowing that he had just uh had just uh passed away mm-hmm. um and then you forgot one of the big uh one of the first credited roles for one vince vaughn the first credited role for the mr first, vince vaughn okay um, in fact, if we want to play uh, timelines here, this apparently is the film where he and John Favreau met. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so this is but, where that historic and very fruitful friendship was founded. Yeah, because they would go on to be in Swingers, and then I guess that it's not it's not really a sequel. I guess it's spiritual sequel made, which I believe was Favreau's directorial debut, mm-hmm. um, and that came out in two thousand or two thousand one, somewhere around there. Swingers classic, and everybody knows Vince Vaughn from that, and of course John Favreau as well. Um, Incredibly young looking Vince yeah. Vaughn, here. but it's kind of crazy. Very few lines in the in the movie, and very few presents. Yeah. But just enough, like literally there's just enough lines in him for him to like have like a really tiny arc. Like he goes from <laughs> hating Rudy to like, oh, let's do this for Rudy, coach. Like really yeah. like, yeah, he actually got kind of an arc if you think about it. Yeah. So let's uh, let's let's catch everyone up on what this is, because, uh, you know, they don't if they don't know what Rudy is after 30 years of hearing that chant. Um, so this is a inspirational, uplifting sports drama, right? Is that a good way of describing it? I think um, so, yeah. Not according to Notre Dame, actually, but we'll talk about that. No, okay. <laughs> um, so Rudy is a huge Notre Dame fan, but not very academically inclined, uh, not very big either, uh, but loves football, has a heart of gold, I guess, uh, determination that would that rivals anyone and he wants nothing more than to play for the notre dame football team but Mm -hmm. he's not big enough and he's not smart enough so the movie kind of chronicles his journey from uh 
from, uh, you know, going after his idea after or going after his dream after his best friend is untimely killed in an accident. Yep. Um, goes and chases his dream. And the movie chronicles that this is a true story. So uh, most of what's in here actually did happen. Um, in traditional Hollywood parlance, based on based a true on, story. Yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on a true story, uh, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, true. That's right. <laughs> so most of what happened is based on some semblance of reality. Other stuff, yes. as we'll t- talk about, I'm sure, is uh, complete and utter fabrication. Um, but hey, Hollywood needs a feel-good story, and they need to do everything they can to tug at your heartstrings to get that emotion up so that you can, you know be all tears at the very end and spoiler alert but it's been 30 years so that's your fault you've had the time yeah you yeah. know yeah um the uh you know we we all know how this ends it's right on the poster um he's getting carried off the field because he does he does play he actually sees the field um and makes a play so he's goes down in the stat book is actually having seen the field because he mm-hmm. made a play he's actually quarterback on the final play yeah. mm-hmm. and he's carried off the field and the the movie states at the very end that no one has ever received such a treatment. Um, and at the time of the movie, nobody had since. So the movie depending takes, on technicalities, depending on technicalities, of course. So, so. apparent. Well, again, this it's Notre Dame, right? This was 75 long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, none other than Bob Golick, uh, son of the famous uh, son of Mike Golick, right? No, it was a brother. No, brother. Brother. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I apologize. Brother. Um, yeah. He was on brother, this team. Yeah, was on this team yeah. and uh, actually said that he was carried off the field on a stretcher. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> and I said, and I was thinking to myself, so Bob, you're kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't, I don't think that's con- what they meant. Yeah. Um, completely different an, context. And another famous football player actually disputes the meaning behind the event. Uh, none yeah. other than one of your childhood icons. Um, yeah. A freshman on that Notre Dame football team that Rudy would have been on, uh, yeah. Mr. Joe Montana, actually yeah. was a freshman on that team, and uh, he ca- apparently made huge waves in the sports world because he called into the Dan Patrick Show one day. He was a guest, and they were just casually talking about Rudy, and he completely blew the lid off the thing. Oh, fine. yeah. Tell he me, said, tell me. "He said, well, number one, the fans never cheered for him. Yeah, he <laughs> was like nobody put their jerseys down uh, to protest for him in a game, and he claims." That when they lifted Rudy up, they did lift Rudy up on their shoulders to carry him out. Uh-huh. But apparently, it was he kind of stopped short of calling it a joke. Yeah, he basically oh. said he essentially said the guys that did it. Uh, in fact, there was a quote later from I think it was there was He's, a quote later that uh, oh he said it later on a later interview. Um, he got carried off by three of the biggest pranksters on the team. Yeah. And they were probably just like, hey, the the, the walk-on did it. Let's carry him off the field. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe Montana just complete cold water splash uh, yeah. on the whole thing. Which, But for the record, Sean Astin being interviewed later on the Dan Patrick Show corroborated most of that uh, recollection of events that, hey, this is a movie. So, But there's yeah, other right. parts of that we can talk about a little bit later um, about this film. So, uh, yeah. Trevor, what did you think of the film when you saw it the first time? I remember when I saw this. I saw this at the old Dollar Theater here in raleigh um i can't remember ex- the 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 timeline's kind of fuzzy exactly when that happened but that's the mm-hmm. theater i remember going to um we weren't living here at the time we were visiting i think and we went and saw it um and uh great movie 
really like i mean everybody in there like it's one of those not a dry eye in the house kind of things <laughs> because yeah it's so good like the um you know the the sean astin's performance and then coupled with just all the all the stuff that uh you know you come to expect from these uplifting sports movies these big sweeping camera angles and these huge emotional score that just like gets your you know gets your emotions going um yeah i mean i i thoroughly enjoyed it and that was probably the only other time i've i've seen this all the way through i don't think i in 30 years i don't think i've watched it since Mm -hmm. since i saw it in the theater so all i all i remember of it are these little these little bits and pieces these little scenes in there i remember the steel accident the steel mill accident but i thought it was Mm -hmm. his dad that's how i remembered it i didn't remember it yeah as the as the best friend i thought it was the dad um you know i remember him going there and the dad pulling the phone on the on the on the or the the intercom and saying my son's going to going to notre dame um i remember that i remember Aston looking at the opening up the uh one of his many rejection letters and just his shoulders slumping in the hallway yeah Um, the one where he takes the paper and like throws it against the wall you can see the frustration like I just remember little little bits like that, um, mm-hmm. but I don't even. Gosh, even people will talk about movies. They're like, "Yeah, I've seen it, but I, you know, I've only seen bits and pieces. I've never seen it the whole way through." <laughs> I don't think I've even seen bits and pieces of this, even the whole way through or whatever. Yeah. I think I think the one and only time I've seen anything like this movie was just in the theater when it first came out thirty mm-hmm. years ago. So, Heather, how about you? First time you saw it. So it's been at least 20 years, uh, maybe even a little bit longer since I've seen this. So I was uh, very little. Um, So I don't remember a whole lot of the details from watching it the first time. But, you know, I remember that triumphant ending and the excitement of he's finally on the field. This is amazing. And I have it's just funny because I have many, many thoughts about it now that (laughs) now that I'm an adult and now that I'm a parent, because I have a lot to say about his dad. (laughs) Um, well, and on my side of things, I watched it as a kid and, um, to be perfectly frank, it bored me for most of it because, uh, for a movie that claims itself to be a football triumph movie, there's only about 30 minutes of football in it in a two hour runtime. We're only talking about 30 minutes of like guys with helmets on running around playing football. Um, it, you know, it's only an hour and a half and, and I will clarify now, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. Now hated Rudy really and continued to hate it. And, and there's a, there's a very funny reason why. Because well, um, you you wanted to go in there and see Rock'em Sock'em football, and what you got was, <laughs> what you got was, you know, little guy going, I just want to play. I just want to play, and well, then it never a- happens. Like, come on, what's wrong with me? Th- there is another reason. Um, okay. Now, the funny, the reason I said the football thing with Notre Dame is because this is one of two movies that was filmed on Notre Dame's campus. The other one was a, a movie about Newt Rockney from uh, back in the day, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame agreed to film this after reading the script because they thought it wasn't a football movie. Interesting. They said, they said this is a movie about overcoming. I think I even put the quote down. Overcoming um, adversity. and Yes. No, Notre Dame agreed to film the agreed to have it filmed because they thought it wasn't actually football wasn't the the core of the film. Um, but the reason I hated this film and continue to hate it. So I played basketball in high school, played tennis, ran cross country, but basketball was always my first love. Huge, hugely loved it. And um, I played for uh, middle school. I tried out for middle school two years in a row and got cut 
Unfortunately, my story there is very similar to Rudy's. I wanted to play middle school basketball really bad. I got cut. I practiced very often in the playground after school, just took a, ba- a basketball with me and, and uh, went in. Then uh, freshman year of high school, I made the JV team. Second year, I came back, got cut. Now, I made the JV team as a freshman, did not play very much, hardly ever. Got cut as a sophomore. And then came back and played my last two years, junior and senior year. And I also did not play very much junior and senior year. I did get the senior night. The seniors are going to start. Okay, Scotty's going to start. Um, any game that we were up, but there were about two or three games there towards the end of the year. We were up. We were either up big or down big. And my dad swears. Okay, I remember it, but I don't like thinking about it. Um, my dad swears the gym chanted for the coach to put me in. And as anyone who has been in Rudy's role can attest, you don't want that role. Like most athletes in high school don't want to be Rudy. (laughs) We don't want that role. And my dad actually for years after it was like, well, Scotty, you were Rosewood's Rudy. Nobody wants to be Rudy. Okay. (laughs) We, we want to be, you know, the, the stud, the stud cornerback. We want to be the top player. We don't want to be Rudy. Um, And so, but uh, can't take that opportunity to thank my coach Rick Grantham and, and some of the guys I played with who were just really, really great teammates made it a great experience and a seminal role in my life. But so for that reason, I always looked at Rudy with a fair amount of bitterness um, right, because you've been in those shoes and you're like, nope, nope, I don't think so. We didn't want to be that guy, right? Yeah. Um, you can call you it didn't, selfish. Yeah. You didn't like carry your dad at the stance, Scotty, Scott. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, and and then there was there's actually a televised game that I got in towards the end of the game uh, that was televised on the local TV show. Dad still at, at some point the tape of it existed. Um, I like hit a three with like a few minutes left, got a defensive stop. We actually scored a hundred in that game. It was one of the first times in our in a long time we had scored a hundred in a high school game. But um, and then I got lucky enough to start one of the games I started was um, actually the first, the only game I started was the last game on our old gym senior night. We were playing this team and we scored a hundred points in that game. Nice. And then later on, I coached basketball and I got to see it from the other side. Every coach feels for the Rudy because mm-hmm. we want that guy to earn it, but we also then get the lesson that every Rudy doesn't get a chance. There's a reason Rudy doesn't start that game is all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, they're, they're trying to win a national championship and they need the right. best. They need the best 11 guys on defense. Right. And I, you know, would he have come in if they weren't up like 21 to three or whatever? Probably nope. not. So. <laughs> No, nope. I'd love to go look at the play-by-play on that, which I didn't. Maybe you looked it up, but I didn't. Um, but they made it look like that they, rather than running the clock out and kneeling it, that they were going to score to put yeah. the defense back on the field to give yeah. Rudy that chance to do it. And 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 that's Vince Vaughn's redemption arc. He's like, nah, screw it. We're going to throw a touchdown. We're going to get back in the game. Somebody would have gotten punched is all I'm yeah. going to say. If we're talking oh, like 15 yeah. seconds left and they throw a, they, they run what a half back pass to score a touchdown. Yep. Yeah. Oh dude. So when they old were school already, football, yeah. this fight. So I, I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to know if that actually was, if they scored with 15 seconds to go or, or how, how far up were they? Right. To give Rudy time. Um, and, well, apparently Rudy was also offsides on the faithful play where he got the sash. Oh, was he? I've <laughs> Those who watch the film say he was offsides. I've Sean Aston's response film. was, well, they didn't call it. So but, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you're offsides, you got to call it. And I'd love to go on a tangent here for a second, if I could completely unrelated because. <laughs> well, I just I was, went off uh, on a tangent was, about my uh, high school basketball was, career. So feel free. You know, we're, we're, we're talking sports here now. So this is kind of going to be a duo sports movies thing here, but let, okay. Right. Sean Aston says they didn't call it. Okay, cool. They didn't call it. That's how it should be. I just attended recently a few weeks ago, a, um, a, a, 
a Carolina Hurricanes hockey game where they were in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah. And they were on a power play and they scored a goal. And it was great because they, you know, I think they tied it up or it was one nothing or something. They they ended up losing the game, but um, it was their first goal of the game. And then the opposing team challenges this, saying the skater was offsides. Um, and I thought I saw it from where I was sitting. I thought I saw yeah. he went offsides, uh, but it was just barely. Right. Right. Which in hockey, like he crossed the blue line like a beat before he was supposed to. Yeah. The puck's got to cross it first. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just, it, it looks awkward when it, you know, when it happens. Right. And it wasn't called. And then they score the goal. And now these guys are challenging it because the skater was off sides. They review it and then they wave it off. And I'm like, uh... that was like 30 seconds ago. Oh, <laughs> that was... man, that's terrible. So, like, so what are they going to do now if they do that? If, if that's, if that's what we're doing now, can we do like, you know, and it's a touchdown. Oh, wait, nope. He was offsides on third and 12, you know, five plays ago. So sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, that's one of the one of the problems that review brings into the equation, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what we're kind of doing right here. We're reviewing and we're looking okay. at all the all the bad things and all the good things, I guess. Right. So. We're, we're dissecting the film. Um, and I do think a fair amount of this conversation is going to bleed into the reality versus the fiction because uh, Rudy himself says the film is 92 percent true. 92. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good for Hollywood. Um, yeah. And, but there's some, there's definitely some license taken. Uh, apparently several of the characters in the film are called composites and those actual people didn't exist. So uh, the real Rudy apparently has 13 siblings. Ooh. Yeah. And so, and the Frank uh, character, sorry. go ahead. God bless his mother. <laughs> God bless that woman. Seriously. Oh yeah. Um, and so um, there's composite characters. So Frank, for example, the jerk who, you know, makes fun of him the whole time. And uh, very unrealistically makes fun of him for being a sports fan as an adult, which, dude, a bunch of guys get off the steel mill and they're sitting at the bar. They're not going to talk about their feelings. It's going to be sports. Yeah, really. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. the father that helps him at Notre Dame is apparently a composite. And also Fortune, the the greenskeeper who he befriends, Mm -hmm. is a composite. Basically, they composited all these people who – the people who supported him, the people who helped him, and the people who thought he wouldn't make it – kind of composited as like elemental forces individually yeah you can only have so many characters like there's drawings and illustrations all over the line you can look at and see character developments in movies and stuff like that and there's like Mm -hmm. there's your main character and then there's these offshoots and each off each connection to the character has to mean something and Mm -hmm. so if you got five guys that mean the same thing that the to the main character mm-hmm. you can't have five characters mesh them all into one that happens right. that happens all the time um like <laughs> just top of my head zero dark 30 mm-hmm. um the jessica chastain character yeah there yeah. is some there is a person i can't remember her name that is pretty much her right mm-hmm. um but there are other folks that were kind of blended together to be her essentially the character in the movie. So mm-hmm. while that, while she's playing somebody that's probably 80% true, the re- other 20 is a composite of, of many others. Uh, the TV show Chernobyl, the character that uh, was it Marsha Gay Harden, I think was in yeah. that show, the nuclear scientist that, that flew in to help out um, also a composite of many, many, many people. So her role, her person did not exist, but mm-hmm. they, they blended. And I think they even, they even say as much in the epilogue of that of that show. Mm-hmm. So, and if you guys have never seen that, 
that one should be really high on your list too. And we oh, might definitely. have to we might have to make make a case for a television program to be in this one that hits twenty years. Re- rearview TV shows, yeah. Rearview TV shows, yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of of characters who were or weren't in the movie, one person who was in the movie and is 100% a real person was the Notre Dame head coach at the time, Dan Devine. So interesting story about Dan. Dan, in real life, apparently really liked Rudy. And there was no doubt about him playing in the last game. In fact, he said he met with Angelo Rizzo, the writer, and the idea was pitched to him, look, um, we're going to make you out to be the oppositional force to Rudy in this act as in you don't want him to play and things work. And basically you don't want him to play in the game. And the real guy was like, no, he was on the dress list for the last game. I announced it at practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but to Dan's credit, Dan said, I'll do whatever it takes to help Rudy. Yeah. Even if you're going to paint me as the bad guy, but fun quote about it as the movie came out, he said, um, I would do, I told Angelo, I would do anything to help Rudy, including playing the heavy. I didn't realize I would be such a heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Angelo Rizzo said about it. He said, I told divine, you're going to be the bad guy in a sense, but I'm not going to make you evil. You're going to be an obstacle to Rudy playing. And he said, that's fine. In a recent conversation, I reminded him of this. And he said, I didn't think I'd be the worst guy in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is Dan divine the worst guy in the movie? No, I don't. I mean, he's barely in it. I remember his part being bigger. So that's yes. another thing that I hadn't that I'd forgotten about. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, of course, the the one scene everybody remembers from this movie, aside from the 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 ending, is the Jersey scene. Yeah, right. Where everyone comes into Dan's uh, office and they're like, "I would like to, I would like Rudy to dress in my place." And he's like, "No, you're not going to do that. You know, you need to." Be a leader, be a man, you know, get out of here. You're, with that. you're the captain. Yeah, you're well, the captain. Yeah. Right. Well, and to sit in the screenwriter's chair for a second, right? Again, never to criticize the people who do these movies, because again, Rudy was a Rudy was a great movie. Why are you gonna have Dan Devine scoff the line off? Yeah. Well, that's if you because he goes, Are you serious? Like that's what he said. Yeah. And then one by one they all come in and lay their jerseys on there. And this is never happened. I think even Rudy has maybe said that this has never happened before. So nope. Dan's exact quote was something about it any, being like something about it being super egregious or something. Oh yeah. This is the thing divine had the biggest problem with because divine's an old school coach, old school coaches value loyalty and, and obedience and, you know, following the team. And it says, uh, if any kid would have put their Jersey on my desk, they never would have seen it again. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, none of that. None of that would have flown. I'm, but you know, Work backwards, like you said. Think of it from a, from a screenwriter's perspective. You want to tell a story about how this how this guy got to be carried off the field. Notre Dame yes. doesn't have that happen. Well, has it happened? Well, he's a walk on. Okay, well, he's short, so he must have had to reach adversity. Well, certainly he was never going to dress. He was always on the practice squad, right? Mm-hmm. No, nah, he was on the mm-hmm. dress list. No, nah. sure? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Divine right. said he even announced it at practice, yeah. and everybody and people cheered about it. Um, yeah. Apparently Joe Montana didn't cheer, I guess, but <laughs> outside of that. Well, he, oh, he, he knew he was on his way to being the goat. Really? That's right. The, the real yeah. goat. No, sure. no, no one else. Yeah. Montana's no, does not know what it feels like to lose a Super Bowl. Yeah. Montana's the goat. Okay. That's it. Oh, M- Montana was my, was my favorite quarterback, my favorite football player period. When I was a child, uh, I watched a lot of those, uh, those Notre Dame uh, clips and stuff. Well, who is the worst character in the movie then? Like who's the biggest jerk? Is it, in my opinion, it's Frank or Johnny. Yeah. Frank is yeah, th- pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. I think it's Frank for sure. Well, but even Frank gets a redemptive arc at the end where he gets to go with his, with um, Rudy's dad to watch the scene at the end. And he gets that whole facial thing about, I was wrong. Rudy is so, you know, he got that thing. Johnny, however, I would contend is the worst. Yeah. Y'all don't remember Johnny, do you? 
I'm not, I'm trying to think of Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Johnny is the brother brother who wound up dating, marrying and having children oh, with Rudy's yeah, girlfriend. Right. We completely gloss over that. Right. Yeah. Like we do. It's like one at, scene. They're picking out houses together. Right. They're looking at houses. Yeah. You can tell he's not interested, but they're looking at houses. Mm-hmm. He comes back from like a semester, a year and a half at Holy Cross and they're coming in together, like kissing and Hey, how's it going? And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, complete bro code violation. But of course I turned to Heather at the time and I said something like, He's been gone for like a year at college. Yeah. Was he expecting her to wait? No, I mean, if they obviously didn't talk about it beforehand, then the answer is no, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, unless they never had the "Are we done?" conversation. And I don't if he think kind of they they may not have had that. I don't think that they did because if you remember, he left right after the funeral, like yeah. immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they left, didn't yeah. really have time to have a conversation. But did they never have it in like six or twelve months or however long it is? Six months probably. That's a good point. Yeah. But they hey, never, they never well, once talked. Like, I, I if mean, Rudy didn't call her, that should be sign enough, right? Like, yeah. it, it's, it's 1975. But, There's no cell phones, but come on, phones exist. Mail exists. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. they didn't call. They didn't talk at all. I don't know. Apparently not. I guess not. I mean, I, that's, that's weird. That one's, that one's, now that we're talking about it, that one, that part's kind of a little on shaky ground, like development. Yeah. Well, but, but, it, but it fits the plot. Rudy is so single-minded about playing for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He casts everything aside. Yeah. His future, the job at the mill. His girlfriend. There's some portrayal mm-hmm. of financial difficulty, even though it's not listed in the movie. But Rudy did serve two years in the Navy after graduating high school, right. uh, which it wasn't really pointed out. But because of that, the GI Bill would have paid his tuition to any school. Huh. Yeah. No, they don't mention that at all. Well, there's a little slight nod to it. A lot of time when he first gets to Notre Dame, what's he carrying? Uh, a bag. He's carrying a navy, yeah. bag, like a military style rucksack. Mm-hmm. rucksack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't they don't really show that though. They show him like at the end of the uh, g- getting kicked off the bus to go to Notre Dame, like at the beginning. Oh, of, yeah. They're like, we're gonna take a tour to Notre Dame, and he's like, whoa, where are you going? This is for people who like actually have a chance of getting in. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Speaking of other things I have a bone to pick with, right? Mm-hmm. So again, in the interest of making a dramatic story, we oversimplify a lot of things. Any teacher would have been like, dude, let him go. Maybe it'll encourage him to get his crap together. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe it'll help him get his grades up. Right. right. I mean, like what, what harm is it to have him go? Yeah. I don't, but anyway, after he walks away, dejected from the bus, it fades out. And then it says four years later. So we just like skip over mm-hmm. the Navy and him coming back in and yeah, he's been and working, working at the, the steel mill. mill. Yeah, so they they jump over a lot of that. But in in interest, this is a this is a really tightly written movie here. It really sticks to the whole three act beat structure yeah. and all right. that. Yeah. It's it's all about Rudy so getting to the football. Yeah. So so I also think that his dad was kind of a little bit of a villain here too, right? I mean, his dad was never really encouraging. His dad, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being realistic with your kids, mm-hmm. but his dad was like, look, kid, like Notre Dame is not for you. That's for rich kids. You don't belong there. Mm-hmm. You just got to be more realistic. Come work with me over here. You'll be fine. You'll, you know, you'll have a decent life. You just kind of need to put that behind you. Yeah. I right? couldn't and, help but laugh. I was like, like, we're watching Legally Blonde right now. <laughs> but they're, uh, wow, that's funny. <laughs> that's for smart people, son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, realistic with your kid. But like, man, that was that was brutal. Like, that well, was really blunt. Well, do you know what Notre Dame's most recent admission rate is for applicants? What is it, Trevor? Any guesses? Uh, twelve percent. It's sixteen right now. Okay. Um, no, as of the last year of admission, it was sixteen. Um, Harvard's is four, uh-huh. comparatively speaking, and the school of which we are all proud alums. 
East yeah. Carolina University, every heart beats bold for the purple and gold, um, has an admission rate of 93.9%. Wow. <laughs> Super so, exclusive. Um, well, and I take it back further. I go back to the childhood scene when they came in from playing on the playground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, at that age, my child could tell me she's going to be an astronaut rock star. Yeah. And I'm going to say, sweet kid, go learn your science. Like, I'm going to support it. Yeah. But even at that point, dad was like, no, no. Oh, son, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Like, okay. So I I may I may have squashed one of my my kids' dreams already, and I'll I'll apologize right off the oh, bat for doing it. Roll, roll the tape. Here we go. Confession. Care to share, Trevor? <laughs> I, I'll share. <laughs> we were watching something on TV. I don't remember exactly what it was, but um, the uh, the president comes on, and I don't I don't need, here's an example. I don't even remember if it was. The actual president, or if it was some character, some actor playing the president, I don't remember what it was, but my son had already been kind of talking at school a little bit about, you know, the government, whatever, the makeup of it. There's a president, leader of the country. And again, I, I can't, I'd have no recollection of what we were watching, if it was something real or if it was something fictional, but either way, the president was on screen, real or otherwise. And my son said to me, can anybody be president? And I said, yes, anybody can be president as long as you're like 35. Pretty much. And I think it's 55. Yeah. I think it's older. I think it's like 45. It's 30, 35. 30, 35. 35. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, the way the rate we're going, it's like you have to be 80. But anyway, that's yeah, the truth. difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so he says, can anyone be president? I said, yes. And he goes, could I be president? And I said, I really hope you have higher aspirations than that. <laughs> <laughs> that is outstanding yeah <laughs> shoot high buddy shoot way higher than that <laughs> grade a parenting trevor you yeah. win <laughs> there you go folks robbed of one of the greatest american presidents of a generation all no. because of a few angry words from a parent i saved his life <laughs> <laughs> i saved him uh, years of insanity and name calling yeah, you did. Yeah, it's true. So, See, I think you were looking out for him. Good job. I was. I was looking out for him. I told him, you can be anything you want except the president of the United States. Hey, Don't man. Do that. Hey, dude. Chris Jericho, as a child, said he wanted to be a professional wrestler and a rock star. And people he made fun it. of him for it. And guess what? He is he a professional wrestler and a rock star. It's possible. I'm, but I'm, I'm that guy. Again, I was the, I was the backbench basketball, Rudy. I, I, I believe it. I, I believe in every kid. It's probably one of my weaknesses as a coach. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so Rudy's got this single-mindedness. Everything is about getting into the, everything is about getting in, uh, including helping out John Favreau's character, right? That was kind of a funny relationship. <laughs> like, I'll help you in school with your dyslexia. You help me get girls. Oh yeah. I thought that was cute. Yeah. That that's a, like the best trade-off ever. Like, Hey, I'll make you smart. You help me get, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you help me even though I am functionally mute when a nice woman walks in front of me. Oh, yeah. yeah that scene in the cafeteria was hilarious. The look on that guy's face, he was just like, yeah. but I told but I told Scotty, I was like, Rudy's not the best wingman. He's taking way too long to respond, also. Dude, yeah. well, he's trying to give John the room. And for the record, John Favreau deserves a lot of credit for having just the best 10 yard stare in the history of, yeah, t- he just he like, absolutely does. He just, yeah. he looking He's away, just looking right at her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, you've seen that a lot of his movies, right? He did, he did that a lot in some of when he played happy in some of those Marvel films, he had a couple of those far off stairs. I just, I'd really enjoyed him. I think if I read this right, and I can't remember her name in the movie, but the, when 
he goes to sign up for a club over at Notre Dame, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The and girl's name like, is Mary. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 We're gonna paint the helmets. And he's like, Yeah, I'm in, even though he's not a student. He sneaks his way in. Um yeah. Mary, is that her name? Um, yeah, I think so. Yes, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I Rudy Cat believe... calls her with a nursery rhyme. I, I don't I don't know where this happened, like in her life, but at some point, either before, during or after this, she was married to the writer of this movie. Yes. Rizzo. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Rizzo or is it uh, Angelo? Angelo. I'm sorry. Pizzo. Angelo. Pizzo. Pizzo. I apologize. I've probably been saying Rizzo this whole time. Jeez. Uh, sorry. Pizzo. My apologies. Or is it Pizzo? Might be know. Pizzo. I, I do not know that. I don't know. Well, I'm just looking at. Wikipedia. He's not listening anyway. Right. Yeah. I'm just looking at Wikipedia right now, and if we had, if we were pronouncing his name wrong, I'm almost wondering if we watched the wrong movie, because on Wikipedia it says this movie is not to be confused with Rudy, the Rudy Giuliani story. Should we have watched that instead? Oh no, we are a thousand no. percent watching okay, the correct okay. movie. <laughs> but this has James Woods. Football is way better. Okay, yeah, <laughs> football over politics. Good call. Yeah, yeah, even if it has James Woods. If I wanted to watch Jeff Dunham's dumb, dummy sweat black ink all over himself, I would uh, I would watch that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rearview politics. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Um, so is it necessary when you do a true story, right? So how much dressing up do you think a viewer can tolerate? Do you think there was too much dressing up for this film? Like, is the real story diverted from too much in the score in the course of making this film? Well, it doesn't sound like it, right? I mean... The real life Rudy, if he says it's 92% accurate, how can you say that there's too much diversion from the truth? The idea behind it is, should be the theme, right? What's the theme of this movie, you know? Yeah. And that's that's what you have to analyze because I've gone back and forth with folks, some of my military friends numerous times over the the merits of a movie called The Hurt Locker, um, <laughs> which wins Best Picture in 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, we um, saw that one together. That movie was a hard Yeah, we saw that one. That's right. But uh, completely, complete fabrication of what life in Iraq during that particular time period was like. Uh-huh. They, they show these guys going out and defusing bombs every day and then coming home and having some brewskis. And then when they stumble across somebody that they recognize dead, the guy gets like this rogue chip under his under his shoulder and hops the fence and goes off base drunk into Baghdad to go like on a revenge mission. And it's like nobody would do that over there. And all my military friends that see this go, that movie's crap. That movie's such bull. Because- well, as soon as you hop the fence and go off and start killing civilians, you're committing war crimes, right? I well, mean- he didn't kill anybody, but he wanted to. Right. right. So, um, but, uh, the, the theme that's an anti-war movie and even the guys that really do go out there and defuse bombs would later on describe their week when talking about this movie. And they would say if they wanted it to be accurate, they would have just showed us sitting on our butts all week playing video games and then getting a call <laughs> and maybe right. going out for an hour to see that. Oh, wait, no, it's actually not a bomb. It's actually just a Coke can. Right. You the know? number of times that, that explosive ordinance disposal actually had to do a job. Right. I mean, yeah. It wasn't Vietnam, for God's sakes. They had to like deal with right. something explosive every week. But the the point of the, the the point is to tell an anti-war story. the 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 point is to tell this, you know, because I mean, what happens at the end of the movie, right? Spoiler alert! But we're ten years old on that one now. <laughs> uh, what happens at the end? He he goes home, and then there's that that 
brilliant scene of him standing in that cereal aisle looking at all the different cereal. He has no idea what to pick because mm-hmm. so his life, life is his life is not revolved around that at all. His life has been in war. And then the last scene of the movie is him walking off the plane, going right back into it with a big old grin on his face. Mm. Like oh, wow. he had all this awfulness happen to him for the last two hours. And then he just couldn't wait to go back to it because that's where he's at. You can't tell that story by showing explosive ordnance people sitting on their butts playing video games all week. Right. The you stakes know. the stakes have to be higher than that. It can't be undramatic, right? right? You can't and, compare cutting the red or blue wire to picking Captain Crunch over Cheerios. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the same thing here in a sense because you cannot like you you can't do the uplifting moment if he was on the dress list you know the thursday before the game or whatever Mm -hmm. like it it has to be it has to be dramatic they have to put that in there because the theme is inspirational overcoming every single obstacle in your way and when everybody around you sees that you're chasing after this dream that no one else can see but you, then they're inspired to help you get there too. Hence the Jersey scene. Right. So you, yeah. you've got to create more obstacles because honestly, if it's realistic, he has no obstacles in the final act. Divine wants him to play. He winds plays. up on the dress list. Yeah, exactly. They're um, up by a mile with the 15 seconds. So they throw him in there. Right. Mm-hmm. He, I as, did look. And as up, we point, yeah, go ahead. I did, I did look. He was actually in there for three plays. The movie only shows two. Yeah, he I think was there in was there an incomplete for, pass and yeah. something else. There was kickoff, incomplete, and then the sack, and then the time runs out and they carry him off the field. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he's no longer the most recent. I think they have carried somebody else off the field after that. And I think they carried a coach off the field too. I didn't see that oh, cool. on mm-hmm. Wikipedia. I think I just remember hearing mm-hmm. that whoever their current coach is, I think he got. Uh, no, because Kelly, it wasn't Brian Kelly because Kelly left Notre no, no, Dame no. to go to LSU. Yeah. It was somebody else. I can't remember his name, but uh, he coached a bowl game or whatever, and then he had the full season. So I don't know. We're sports fans too, so we know a bunch mm-hmm. of this nonsense as well. So hence the diverging off of this topic of movies to sports more frequently. Well, and I think it's and I think it's partially happening because the film is actually pretty tightly written. It's not a film with a ton of loose ends or a ton of like particular no. questions. Um, most of what I have in terms of notes on the film is just a lot of kind of fun facts, right? So like, you know, Sean Astin's stunt double for a lot of the football scenes wound up having to have knee surgery. Ouch. So Sean Astin himself jumped in and did a lot of the scenes playing the football and getting the crap kicked out of him, um, which is kind of fun for an actor to do. I'm sure he probably had a lot of fun doing that. Can we just also, let's talk about the greatness of Sean Astin and his longevity as an actor because- 100%. This guy- this is the first movie I remember seeing him in. And every movie I saw after that, where I saw him, I r- thought back to, Oh, that's Rudy. And uh-huh. you see him in like Encino man. And then he had his um... license to drive him and uh, him. And no, that was Corey Haim. I mix him and Sean Astin. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, he was in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. The, the third of those movies is um, on our list. So maybe we'll get to that one um, as is 20 years old this year. There was a push, I remember, in 2003 when that was out. There was a push that they wanted to get him a supporting actor nomination for uh, the third Lord of the Rings movie. And I didn't think they would get that, and they didn't. But it would have been pretty cool for him to to score that because he had some really big moments in that movie. I know you guys haven't seen it, but uh, 
the rest of the world has and the rest of the world knows what I'm talking about. They know how <laughs> they know how amazing he is in that movie, especially at the very end. Uh, I'll tell you what, I will vow to go watch more movies if you pay for my babysitter. No, <laughs> we, can, we can watch them on the couch. And um, do it. Yeah, you watch them on the couch in the rear view. Well, well, hey, so, I mean, you've got there are hey, Sean Astin has a lot of credits, like you said, a lot of longevity. I mean, I'm looking at his IM, at his uh, at the IMDb page right here. I remember ta- Fifty First Dates. He was great in that one. He was hilarious. Oh, yeah, um, he was in the Goonies in '85. Yep. Uh, he was in uh, his first role was in a, uh, on a TV show called Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. That sounds a little on the nose. Oh no, uh, from '80 '81, right? But I then he was in the Goonies. How dare um, I? Memphis Bell, the Willies, Toy Soldiers, uh, the War of the Roses. He actually played their one of their children. Um, and uh, yeah, there's Encino Man in the 90s, uh, Bullworth. I mean, yeah, the guy, like you said, a lot of longevity, long career, um, a lot of and, good roles. And then to top it all off, he pops up in uh, Stranger Things. Yes, yeah, well. in, in a really good role. In a really good role. As Bob, rest in peace, Bob. Bob, get he gets um, to be that character in in Stranger Things in most seasons who is moderately disposable. The crowd falls in love with him, and then he goes at the end of the season. Yeah, wow. Stranger Things is really good at doing that to us, <laughs> giving us somebody we really like, and then darn near killing them off, or yep. actually killing them off. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's been in a lot, and he continues wow. to still pop up and stuff, and it's just. Oh, he was in 20, he was on 24. I forgot he was in a, um, says he was in 10 episodes of 24. Forgot about that. Oh, day five. That's right. I remember that because he, okay. You watched 24 with me, didn't you? Yeah. Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. He -hmm. he sacrifices himself in that show. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, he was in the fifth season of that again, spoiler alert, but um, I really don't care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um. so we should have named this podcast a spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Trevor, you can confirm this if you want. I, I have a theory that with you, most of the time you don't like spoilers. But if you don't really give two craps about the movie, you're fine for spoilers. Yeah, I'm fine for spoilers. Okay. That's right. Because because uh, he was willing to tell me some spoilers about Flash. And I was like, why does he want to spoil? He doesn't care about Flash. Okay. <laughs> I don't care about Flash. <laughs> yeah. If, if I'm asking, just tell it. So. I know. Yeah. Well, then at the conclusion of this taping, I might tell you some stuff because it's funny. Yeah. Um, well, but, let's so, not go crazy here. I do still want to see the movie. Just, <laughs> it um, is. It is. Pre- well, uh, and I tell you, th- there's another unbelievable detail about this that Sean Astin mentioned in an interview that I think is hilarious. And Trevor will appreciate this given his background. So when the games were filmed, the filming of the games actually mm-hmm. took place at actual Notre Dame football games, mm-hmm. um, two games that Notre Dame was playing. And in order to accommodate the game schedule, the Notre Dame band willingly forfeited 15 minutes of their halftime performance time to film this movie twice. Wow. See Trevor's face. That is heaven and earth, right? For the band. I mean, the band decided they didn't want it. They were going to, Wow, that's that's and Sean Sean was very humble about it when he talked about it on Dan Patrick. He was like, these people work so hard, you know, to get that time, to get that fame time, that 30 minutes within this, you know, three hour game. And they gave it to us. And and Sean talked about how awesome that was. But uh yeah, I mean, can you imagine telling the band director, hey, I know you're running this you know, huge thing and everybody's gonna watch you, but uh, we're gonna cut it down to 15 minutes because we're filming this movie. <laughs> 
And then they got unlucky because they had one game where the weather was fine. Then the next game they filmed, it snowed. Oh, wow. So they couldn't. So for continuity nightmare, right? Like you, there are shots you can't use. Um, I think there is some snow in some of the shots towards the end of the movie because, you know, you've got to figure that out, right? You can't not use the entire game's worth of footage. Well, it did Mm -hmm. look like at least they used some of that for B-roll because you saw some of the stadium at some point like filled with snow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's definitely snows in South Bend, Indiana, for sure. That's a cold place. Mm-hmm. So, so, so jump into some critical take on it. One more critical take on it from the time, you know, that when we're looking at old movies, I generally tend to at least find out what Roger Ebert had to say about the film. And I think he actually kind of nails it in terms of the opinion I would, I would concur with. He says, um, underdog movies are a durable genre and never go out of style. They're fairly predictable in the sense that few movie underdogs ever lose in the last big scene. The notion is enormously appealing, however, because everyone can identify in one way or another in Rudy. Aston's performance is so self-effacing, so focused, and so low-key that we lose sight of the underdog formula and begin to focus on this dogged kid who won't quit. And the last big scene is an emotional powerhouse just the way it's supposed to be. Well, yeah, there's no... That's one thing I kind of miss about 90s movies is once the once everything's wrapped up, we're out. Like, we're done. There's none, there's none of this, like, you know... If they were to remake this today, we'd, like, have a... I don't know that a, they could... Well, we'd have like a, another scene after that where he'd like go home and like he'd confront his ex-girlfriend or something oh, stupid yeah. like that. Yeah. Like there's or um, maybe he, he finds the, the, the former coach and he's like, I knew you could do it, son. I knew you like some there, <laughs> yeah. there'd be some th- something stupid like, you know, in 90s movies when the conflict was resolved, it was over. You were like, do you remember yep. you yeah. remember you remember uh, Outbreak, right? Outbreak, not a great yep. movie, not a great movie, but I love the ending because it's like, oh, we cured it. Credits. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's like, well, and, and nothing is else our, to tell. Is, is our generation, does a movie of this type even work in our generation or in the generation we're in now? Um, I wonder if we're too cynical to enjoy a movie like this now. Yeah, you're probably right. You, and they you still would make hope not, though. Oh, you well, would hope not. Can, can yeah, the three of us I mean, off the top of our head think of a movie similar to Rudy's formula? Coach Carter, I mean, well, and even that. Well, there's Glory Road. I mean, yeah. Well, there's these like Disney will do these. What's excuse me every now and again, and but they're they're becoming fewer and far between because, like I said, and continue to say every time this question comes up, they don't make these types of movies anymore. And when they do, they're just diverted to the streaming. So there mm-hmm. was one movie that came out this year that might fit this formula. I, I don't know. Because I haven't seen it, but it's got Woody Harrelson in it, and I think it was it was. Oh, was on, it the one uh, about him coaching the team, uh, the basketball team with the um, yeah the special needs kids? There was yeah. that one. Um, um, what was it called? Champions. Yes, um, champions. So, but they still happen. There's some TV series now, I think, or maybe mm-hmm. it's a movie. I, I don't know. It's about LeBron when he was yeah about him and his his teammates at yeah. St. Mary's. That's going to be a good one. I enjoyed that story. Yeah. So they they still come out it's just they don't they don't make room in the theaters for these anymore and i'm not saying that a movie that immediately goes to streaming is 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 a negative because crying out loud um we have coda which won best picture a couple years ago that was streaming Mm -hmm. um that was apple netflix has numerous every year where they're up for for awards and some Mm -hmm. of the stuff that they do and awards is the awards is the easiest way to kind of just like um 
quantify it, I guess. But there's plenty well, of good yeah. movies that are on the streaming services. Mm-hmm. And just by dumping it on there doesn't mean it's bad. It's just this is the place for it. We have to reserve the theaters for the $250 million movies. Well, and following the thread, because again, you know, you listen to, to a number of these episodes, you come across that theme, right? Mm-hmm. Movies of this type don't get made because they take up less Guardians of the Galaxy or Flash screenings, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think about it from the standpoint of a movie theater, kind of what we were talking about before we started recording, a movie theater can't survive showing movies that, have, that don't fill the theater every time. Because every what, I'm sure you would know this from the economics, Every showing you have, a certain number of seats have to be full or you're losing money, right? Well, at a movie theater, in the first couple of weeks the movie's out, really 100% of that box off, almost 100%, it's not even going to the theater. Right. So the theater, that's why you're. That's why it costs so much money at the concession stand, is that's where the money's being made. Mm-hmm. Right, so, yeah, that's why you're paying $10 for a small carton of popcorn. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. When I worked at a movie theater, we called the popper the bill payer. <laughs> so, that's awesome. um, because you buy a fifty-pound bag of seed for twenty dollars, and then yeah, <laughs> then you oh, sell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, mean? I worked in I worked in high in high school. It was the same way. Like I, as an athletic director, I worked with booster clubs, and we had to keep the popcorn moving because it was one of your best margins. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the big local provider, like the Chick-fil-A's or Zaxby's of the world that brings you in a sandwich, say to sell the margin on that is next to, is not very good. Um, but it's almost a hundred percent on your popcorns and your, uh, candies and your things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where, gosh, you do need those big movies in there because those are the ones that are going to bring them in. Right. They can't but, eat concessions if they're not there to see a movie. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't know. I just. I wish there was some space for this kind of stuff because there's more to movies than just dudes in tights. I mean, Mm -hmm. and at some point it's going to get, at some point people are going to get tired of it and then everyone's going to be standing there going, well, now what do we do? Because we've invested so much money into this and it's already showing Mm -hmm. because the, the flash pretty much flopped this weekend. Mm -hmm. Like it did not do very good at all. It was like a $220 million movie and it brings in $50 million. That's not good. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's well. That's and there's news. also the factor, there's also the factor that it very much felt like the film was being made as a contractual obligation um, because it's part of a universe that isn't going to be part. Like they've already said that the blue beetle movie, well, which is coming out is going to be the beginning of Sean Gun- of, of not sorry, Sean, uh, James, James. Gunn's tenure as the head of DC. So the rest of this, like well, again, Ben Affleck is Batman, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, distant memory but i mean even even some of these marvel ones they're they're still pulling in the money but it's not the juggernaut it used to be well and we're I think not a, we don't have a big story anymore it. no it's it's they're running out of ideas fatigue is setting in and mm-hmm. when those movies aren't as popular as they once were they're going to need something to fill it and that's where these mm-hmm. smaller ones are going to come into play and everyone's mm-hmm. going to have to sort of rethink the model again because you're charging so much money to put people in those seats and mm-hmm. you're charging so much money so that the movie theater can stay operational. But then you're going to have to start looking at this and saying, okay, well, a $22 million gross off of a $12, $12 million budget is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to live with that instead of making a movie that costs $250 million, And if it doesn't hit a billion then we're in trouble. It's a wash. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that's where I would speak up. And, and honestly, um, in our local area, I would, I would be very much encouraging movie fans to support theaters like say the Alamo. 
Um, because that is a theater that, again, if you're in the Raleigh area, North Carolina, I cannot say enough good things about the Alamo because they celebrate movies beyond here's the next Marvel movie. Like they have events every week featuring classic films. They have Mm -hmm. stuff for, they have stuff featuring classic films for kids. They, you have to be, you're a real movie lover. If you go to the Alamo a lot, in my opinion. Um, and if anyone from the Alamo is listening, we'd love an endorsement offer. Thousand percent. Yeah. Even a movie a week. I'm here for that. Yeah. Um, but that's but that is I think what what movie what movie enjoying could be. They have a lot of theaters. They show they they'll give one or two theaters to those sort of um, legacy shows or legacy movies. Like hey, let's come watch uh, let's come watch Elf and everybody dress as Will as Elf. Right? They they do stuff like that to kind of celebrate movies. You took our daughter to one of those, didn't you? I think I took her to see Sonic or one of those. Can't remember. You did, yeah. But uh, anyway, so back on the topic of, of of movies in general, where we're at, um, Rudy's obviously a movie that many would put in the category of a football movie. So for the two of you, best football movie or even top three. That's hard. There's not that many good ones. That's there's, that there's, was my immediate thought. I would there's, almost subcategorize them in the serious football movies and the funny football movies because there yeah. are far more comedic football movies. There's decent football movies. There's a handful of decent ones, but I don't. Gosh, this one's probably pretty good. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. The the I don't even know. Like, because that's how that's how just non impressive they are. For me, good sports movies come when you're only focusing on a singular person, and it's hard to focus on a singular person when the team is the big element. It's team sports. So you're honestly your better your best sports movies are your boxing movies. Huh. When you agree? Rocky, Million yeah. Dollar Baby, Raging sure. Bull. Sure. So The Creed um, franchise has been very good. Yes, it has. Um, but uh, you know, when you think of football, gosh, I don't you got that what was that one with the rock the gridiron game that was okay <laughs> yeah yeah and that one that um the adam sandler remade what was that one the longest yard the longest which, yard yeah which as a football movie i far prefer the original i, so, I actually had so reynolds have a, is that who that was yeah burt reynolds yeah. played uh played a uh, crew in the original movie and for the record did not have a problem with Adam Sandler's portrayal of that film. Again, it's a, it's a slightly off kilter comedy to begin with. So making it an off kilter comedy didn't really bother me. Um, I did, however, far prefer the original. I thought the original, that film was better. North Dallas 40 was pretty good. Yep. Um, That's Friday Night one. Lights was very good. Oh yeah. God. How am I forgetting Friday Night yeah. Lights? Friday Night That's Lights was right phenomenal. That's it. That's the um, one right there. Adaptation of a book. Uh, explored some of the topics around it very well. Great performances. Remember Tim McGraw in that movie? Yeah, Tim oh, McGraw. Yeah. Is, Tim McGraw is Oscar good in that movie. Was very good. Yeah. Um, now we're talking funny movies. The Replacements is a hilarious movie. Oh, featuring, I love that movie. Featuring who? Trevor? Who's in that movie again? Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, Necessary Roughness back in the day uh, was a good one. As well, again, I'm a sports nut, so I do. I've if it's a sports movie, uh, you got kids movies, man. You've got Little Giants. Uh, with oh, Little Giants. Little Giants is fun. I like that one. <laughs> um, so I guess Rudy in the pantheon of, of sports movies, especially football movies, probably up there in terms of good. Football. It's up there, absolutely, yeah. It's up there. It's it's up there. Just in football and in sports movies, I think in general. Yeah. Um, if you're if we're looking at this again under twenty year eyes now 
Um, are are you liking it better now, Scotty, or do you still hate it? Um, like it better now, now that I'm older and, and don't have to be a cynical teenager about not playing uh, in basketball. Um, no, it was it was very good. Uh, huge credit to the score. Loved the score. I thought a lot of the instrumental music and actually the score from this movie became pretty popular later. Uh, in fact, I think it became part of, you know, the, the score itself became part of things later. Um, love Sean's performance, love some of the other performances and overall a really good movie. In fact, it's really funny. We were watching this movie with our children. She's like, well, it's a PG movie. We can watch it with our kids. Uh, so my daughter is sitting next to me watching it and she's doing the typical kid thing. She's asking you a million questions. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but then when it ends, literally the credits are rolling. She just goes, daddy, this movie is about determination and achieving your dreams. <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's she great. did. She said, yeah, this movie is about, a, uh, about a determination and achieving your dreams. And Aww. I said, yeah, yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, and if I would have one criticism of the film and this is really it, um, I thought it was a little thick at times. It laid it on a little thick. Like, again, going back to the drama of things, my dad's not at any age, at a young, the younger you are, I think the more likely your parents, if you're not Trevor's son, are going to be more likely <laughs> to support the dreams that you have for yourself. And I, I think the notion that almost nobody believed in, in you is a little much. And at, Ebert actually said this too in his criticism, which I would agree with. He said, uh, Rudy really isn't even good enough to be the lowliest sub, but he has great heart. And then in quotes, he said, something that is observed a little too often in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Does the dialogue hammer home too much? Yeah, true. Under, you know, kind of the, I can hear Bill Murray in the background. Logo boy, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, maybe so maybe two on the nose. You, you bring up Ebert pretty often and with good, you know, with good reason. He's the greatest um he's the goat um but that's a guy who always reviewed his movies under a four star scale everyone seems to do five stars so mm -hmm. i grew up reading his stuff um and uh that's how i always would rate my things four stars uh so that's that's how i see rudy today right this is mm -hmm. four this is four stars for me I don't have well, too many. I see the issues you're taking with it. I get it. Yeah. It's on the nose. It's a little overdone. It's cheesy at times. Um, that's kind of the point. I mean, it really kind of oh, fits yeah. the, the mold of this type of movie. Mm -hmm. um, right. Even even Hoosiers is is that gets into that a little bit too. But um, and that is even less grounded in reality. If you want to be honest, yeah, true. <laughs> so no, like I well you know, flipping it on you. What did you think about the movie on the rewatch? Yeah, right there, four stars. Like this is this is about as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's certainly not these types of movies are not your awards movies or whatever. Uh, certainly wouldn't probably be appearing in a best ten list at the end of the year. But no, it's it's great. Heather, so, how about you? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I just I thought it was uh. I do agree with the, with what you're saying about it being a little overdone about, well, there's no way you can do this and you can't No, you're just being unrealistic and you got, it. you know, that I thought that was driven home a little too hard. Um, but I think that's also what gave him more of that determination to keep going. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's a, it's a feel good movie. It's a classic feel good movie and you love it when he finally gets in the game and, and makes that big tackle and yeah, it's fun. It, it's, it's hard not to like. I think I remember one person told me one time they were like, "What's a whole movie just to watch him get a damn sack?" 
<laughs> well, hey, for a, for a walk-on man, that is the story. Yeah. Um, for anybody who watches this film, who's uh, listening to this podcast and is interested in that side of sports, um, there is actually a really good book. I can't remember what it's called, but it's written by a guy named Alan Williams. Um, he was a walk-on at, at uh, Wake Forest, played basketball at Wake Forest as a walk-on and talked a lot about his experience. Um, and he had some really, I think he was there when Chris Paul was there, like had some, some really famous teammates and a really good experience. And, and he's got a, a book about it. He's a motivational speaker now. I think he writes like Christian books, but really good book on the walk-on experience if it's something that you're interested in. Google um, says it's called Walk-On. There you go. Boom. Walk on. Perfect. Um, and so I guess to kind of close the book on this, uh, Trevor, any final thoughts here on Rudy before we start talking about our next film? No, um, I think we covered it all. Rudy is outstanding. I yes. am thoroughly, uh, thoroughly impressed. And that's probably one of my higher, higher regarded movies that we've been, that we've discussed on this. That's awesome. I, um, <laughs> I just have to say that I think it was hilarious that when he was on the grounds crew working on the field, it was like having a 10 year old boy on staff. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like jumping up and running around and screaming. And I was yep. like, yep, it's like having a little kid on your staff. That's going to be great. Well, there were two scenes where that happened, right? So they go in the locker room and he starts reading off that, uh, that Newt Rockney speech that's in the locker room and he uh and the mo- the moment kind of moves fortune he's like oh and he smiles at the kid then like a few scenes later he's dancing around on the football field mm-hmm. where they're supposed to be uh aerating and stuff and he fortune's just not moved at that point yeah um, <laughs> we but, got a uh, job to do let's do it <laughs> that's right so uh speaking of we got a job to do and let's do it uh let's get our audience ready for what our next film is going to be trevor all right well let me access the multi-quintillion dollar machine here up you trying what have you got um, awesomeo here. All right, so <laughs> again, we're gonna hit the random button here, and we're gonna hope for no whammies. <laughs> and um, yeah, find the whammy, find the whammy sound, and put that over this so we can do that. That'd be great. <laughs> no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. Stop. Okay. Um, going to 1983 now. Um, this is the right stuff. I believe Ooh. it's a. I believe it's a biopic on New Kids on the Block. Nope, nope. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, no, well, Katie's not listening to this now. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, nope. My fault. Uh, the right stuff. Uh, biopic on the Mercury Space Program. Great movie, if I remember right. I'll have to. I haven't seen it in years, so this will be fun to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if our listener singular decides that uh, they'd like to join in on this. Uh, three hour movie, hang in there. Ooh. If I remember right, super duper entertaining. So, well, hey, uh, I, finding a finding a way to take the story of our space program and all the great things that happened in that in that time period and compress that into a three hour movie that is an achievement, right? I mean, that's a yeah. I, as a history teacher, I loved talking about the space program because I think it's one of those things that should really make you proud to be an American because we had a problem in front of us and we fixed and we fixed it, like addressed it and went above and beyond. Well, and this will be, this will be interesting too, because we got off on sports tangents this week, but next time it'll be (laughs) getting off on history and space tangents. Cause I'm like you, man, I like history stuff. I like like space stuff too. So let's have it. Uh, A a movie about going into space that's grounded in reality and not science fiction. That's pretty cool. Um, and we'll bring a blank, uh, blanket and pillow so that uh, Heather can get some Z's while we're talking about this. Excellent. One. Yeah. No, you have to watch it. Come on. 
And then when we randomize when we randomize it next time and it ends up on the exorcist, you gotta watch Trevor, that too. You you are just determined to give me nightmares for the next year, aren't you? I it's, just it's really just want to talk building, about that one. We are building uh anticipation in our listeners for the moment that we get to come on here. And when they see that title flash up, the exorcist, we're gonna be like, Yes, what does Heather think? Yep, that's right. Oh boy. Or yeah, Cujo. everyone else will be more excited than I will. Or Cujo. That's another one. That'll that'll get that'll get you going too. Yeah, we just had a dog here for a week. That's funny. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't even know what that movie's about. So it's about a dog. It's about it's a cute puppy dog. Somehow I don't think you're telling me the truth. Well, okay. I mean, he's kind of cute. It's 92% accurate. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, that'll do it for our journey with you for this segment of Rearview Movies. Please make sure you interact with us uh, on our socials. Click that follow button. Definitely keep track of us. We really would love to continue to talk movies with everybody and have these great conversations. But until then, after uh, make sure you get a chance to check out the right stuff and then come back and listen to us talk about watching old things with new eyes.